the pulse of high performance, balancing stress and recovery. The concept of maximizing performance by alternating periods of activity with periods of rest was first advanced by Flavius Philostratus, between <coughs> who wrote training manuals for Greek athletes. Russian sports scientists resurrected the concept in the 1960s and began applying it with stunning success to their Olympic athletes. Today, work-rest ratios light the heart of periodization, a training method used by elite athletes throughout the world. The science of periodization has become more precise and more sophisticated over the years, but the basic concept hasn't changed since it was first advanced nearly 2,000 years ago. Following a period of activity, the body must replenish fundamental biochemical sources of energy. This is called compensation, and when it occurs, energy expanded is recovered. Increase the intensity of the training or the performance demanded, and it is necessary to commensurately increase the amount of energy renewal. Fail to do so, and you will experience a measure of deterioration in performance. So energy is the, simply the capacity to do work. Our most fundamental need as human beings is then to spend and recover energy. We need energy to perform, and recovery is more than the absence of work. It serves not just the health and happiness, but also performance. Nearly every elite athlete we've worked with over the years has come to us with performance problems that could be traced to an imbalance between the expenditure and the recovery of energy. They were either overtraining or undertraining in one or more dimensions, physically, emotionally, mentally or spiritually. Both overtraining and undertraining have performance consequences that include persistent injuries and sickness, anxiety, negativity and anger, difficulty concentrating and loss of passion. We achieve breakthroughs by helping athletes to more skillfully manage energy pushing themselves to systematically increase capacity in whatever dimension it was insufficient, but also to build in regular recovery as part of their training regimens. Balancing stress and recovery is critical not just in competitive sports, but also in managing energy in all facets of our lives. When we expend energy, we draw down our reservoir. When we recover energy, we fill it back up. Too much energy expenditure without sufficient recovery eventually leads to burnout and breakdown. Too much recovery without sufficient stress leads to atrophy and weakness. Just think about an arm placed in a cast for an extended period of time in order to protect it from the stress to which it is ordinarily subjected. In a very short time, the muscles of the arm begin to atrophy from disuse. The benefits of a sustained fitness program decrease significantly after just one week of inactivity and disappear altogether in as few as four weeks. The same process occurs emotionally, mentally and spiritually. Emotional depth and resilience depend on active engagement with others and with their feelings. 
Mental acuity diminishes in the absence of ongoing intellectual challenge. Spiritual energy capacity depends on regularly re revisiting our deepest values and holding ourselves accountable in our behaviour. Full engagement requires cultivating a dynamic balance between the expenditure of energy and the renewal of energy in all dimensions. The more powerful our pulse, the more fully engaged we can be. And the same is true organisationally. Nature itself has a pulse, a rhythmic wave-like movement between activity and rest. Think about the ebb and flow of the tides, the movement between seasons, and the daily rising and setting of the sun. Likewise, all organisms follow life-sustaining rhythms. Birds migrating, bears hibernating, squirrels gathering nuts, and fish spawning, all of them at predictable intervals. Human beings are also guided by rhythms, both those dictated by nature and those encoded in our genes. Seasonal affective disorder is an illness that is attributable both to changes in seasonal rhythms and the body's inability to adapt. Our breathing, brain waves, body temperature, heart rates, hormone levels and blood pressures all have healthy and unhealthy rhythmic patterns. Oscillation occurs even at the most basic levels of our being. Healthy patterns of activity and rest lie at the heart of our capacity for full engagement, maximum performance and sustained health. Linearity by contrast ultimately leads to dysfunction and death. To live like a... Blah. The time between points. To live like a sprinter is to break life down into a series of manageable intervals consistent with our own needs and with the periodic rhythms of nature. This first insight crystallised this insight first crystallised for Jim Ler when he was working with world-class tennis players. As a performance psychologist, his goal was to understand the factors that set apart the greatest competitors in the world from the rest of the pack. He spent hours watching top players and studying tapes of their matches. To his growing frustration, he could detect almost no significant differences in their competitive habits during points. It was only when he began to notice what they did between points that he suddenly saw a difference. While most of them were not aware of it, the best players had built almost exactly the same set of routines between points. This included the way they walked back to the baseline after a point, how they had their health how they held their head and shoulders, where they focused their eyes, the pattern of their breathing and even the way they talked to themselves. It dawned on him that these players were instinctively using the time between points to maximise their recovery. Many lower ranked competitors he began to see had no recovery routines at all. When he hooked up the top players to EKG telemetry which allowed him to monitor their heart rates, he made another startling discovery. In the 16 to 20 seconds between points in a match, 
the heart rates of top competitors dropped as much as 20 beats per minute. By building highly efficient and focused recovery routines, these players had found a way to derive extraordinary energy renewal in a very short period of time. Because lesser competitors had no comparable routines between points, their heart rates often remained at high levels throughout their matches regardless of their level of fitness. The best competitors were using rituals to recover more efficiently and to better prepare for each upcoming point. The performance consequences of these precise between-point rituals were dramatic. Imagine two players of relatively equal talent and fitness in the third hour of a match. One, is reg one has been regularly recovering between points, while the other has not. Clearly the second player will be far more physically fatigued. In turn, fatigue has a cascade effect. A tired player is more susceptible to negative emotions such as anger and frustration, which will likely push his heart rate still higher and likely lead to muscular tension. Physical fatigue also makes it far more difficult to concentrate. The same phenomenon applies even for those of us who work in sedentary jobs. Imagine that you've been living Imagine that you've been sitting for long and continuous hours at your desk, operating under very high pressure. Fatigue is a likely consequence, and so is susceptibility to negative emotions and to distraction, all of which ultimately undermine performance. In tennis, his research proved, his, proved this in measurable ways. The more linear or unvarying players' heart rates became, the worse they tended to play, and the more likely it was that they lost their matches. Too much energy expenditure without sufficient recovery caused their heart rates to become chronically elevated. Their performance was equally compromised when their heart rates remained chronically low, typically a sign that they were not committed enough or had given up the fight. Even in a sport such as golf, which requires very little expenditure of physical energy, Rituals that balance energy expenditure with recovery are critical. Jack Nicholas was remarkable for his skill and consistency, but also for his remarkable ability to analyse the elements that contributed to his success. I was blessed with the ability to focus intensely on whatever I'm doing through most distraction and usually to the exclusion of whatever else might otherwise preoccupy me. Nevertheless, I can't concentrate on anything but golf shots for the time it takes to play 18 holes. Even if I could, I suspect the drain of mental energy would make me pretty fuzzy-headed long before the last putt went down. In consequence, I developed a regimen that allows me to perform from peaks of concentration into valleys of relaxation and back again as necessary. My focus begins to sharpen as I walk into the tee then steadily intensifies as I complete the process of analysis and evaluation that produces a clear-cut strategy for every shot I play. It then peaks as I set up to the ball and execute the swing when ideally my mind picture of what I'm trying to do is both totally exclusionary and totally positive. 
Unless the tea shot finds serious trouble when I might immediately start processing possible recoveries, I descend into a valley as I leave the tea, either through casual conversation with a fellow competitor, or by letting my mind dwell on whatever happens into it. I try to adhere to this pattern, whether I'm playing my best or my worst, but obviously have to work harder at it when things aren't going well. Balancing stress and recovery is invaluable in any performance venue. In 1998, the United States Army undertook a study to assess productivity during warfare. The measure was how many shells a gunnery crew could land on a target during a three-day period. One crew was told to shoot as many shells as it could manage over the entire three days. The second crew was told to take intermittent naps. For the first day, the non-stop shooters landed more shells on the target than their colleagues. By the second day, the accuracy of the non-stop shelling progressively waned and the intermittent nappers gained the lead for good. Periods of recovery are likewise intrinsic to creativity and to intimate connection. Sounds become music in the spaces between notes just as words are created by the spaces between letters. It is in the spaces between work that love, friendship, depth and dimension are nurtured. Without time for recovery, our lives become a blur of doing unbalanced by much opportunity for being. Several years ago, the magazine Fast Company asked a series of successful professionals to talk about how they avoided burnout in the face of highly demanded jobs. Nearly everyone described very specific routines that they had instituted to ensure they regularly renewed themselves. The president of Wink Communications, Maggie Wilderotter, The president of Wink Communications, which develops interactive forms of television, developed something that she called a lion hunt. I prowl through the office asking people what they're working on, she explained. This gives me a chance to connect with employees whom I don't usually talk to. Lion hunts are incredibly relaxing because even if they last just 30 minutes, they take me away from a schedule from a schedule that requires me to push, push, push. I've never burned out because I don't let myself go to that point. You've got to be able to pace yourself and allow time for plenty of breaks. Time is a finite resource and we all place infinite demands on it. I view time as an opportunity, as a chance to make choices about how I spend that resource. Carissa Bianchi, President and CEO of the advertising company, TBWA in San Francisco builds recovery into a frequent travel. I never work on airplanes, no computer, no phone, nothing, she said. I read books and magazines and I listen to music, things I don't usually have the time to do. You can always find reasons to work. There will always be one more thing to do, but when people don't take time out, they stop being productive. For a former football coach who now runs a race car company, recovery rituals focus around vacations.
On my calendar, I mark the days on which I tend to get away with my family. They mark with big yellow X's. We take a four-day weekend each month. Around Christmas time, we spend nine days either skiing or vacationing someplace warm. Bill Norman, Executive Vice President of the furniture company Herman Miller, described how he meticulously manages his schedule to maximise productivity on the job by minimising distractions and building in plenty of time for energy renewal. I stopped using voicemail six or seven years ago and I don't use a cell phone at all. I know people for whom work is their life, their sole interest, but I think it's very important to do things outside of work that you enjoy. For example, photographing landscapes and taking close-up nature shots. It refreshes me and helps me stay focused. Photography exercises a set of creative muscles in my brain that don't necessarily get worked out in business. The ones that develop your intuitive mind, which can be crucial for on-the-job decision-making. Balancing stress and recovery can be especially powerful on an organisational level. Bruce F. runs a division of a large telecommunications company and he came through a program with members of his top team. Along the way it emerged that he liked to hold meetings that ran as long, to three, as, long as three to four hours without a break. Immensely energetic himself, he acknowledged that there was a mantra element to these marathons but he also told us that he considered the ability to sustain concentration over long periods a key measure of a strong executive. We pointed out that if his goal was to maximise productivity, he simply wasn't managing his team's energy efficiency. Energy efficiency efficiently. Given his demands, his executives might well force themselves to hang in at long meetings and some would obviously do so more effectively than others. None of them, however, could possibly be as focused and sharp as the end of four non-stop hours as they had been at the start of the meeting. At first he was sceptical about the whole notion of recovery. He was moved, however, by the story of Jim's between-point research, and most especially by the quality of recovery that players were able to get in a very short period of time. When he left us, he, experiment, he experimented with building brief periods of recovery into his own workdays, and almost immediately he discovered that he not only returned from his breaks more physically energised, but also that he felt more positive emotionally. An enthusiastic man by nature, he became a true believer in the power of intermittent recovery and continued to experiment with different forms, eventually settling on two that took his mind completely off work and proved to be especially restorative. His first recovery strategy was walking up and down a dozen flight of stairs in his office building. The second was juggling. And shortly after leaving, he began teaching himself to juggle using three balls. Within six months, he could handle a half dozen, and the experience took his mind completely off work and gave him a pure sense of joy. Several weeks after his visit, he completely changed the way that he conducted meetings. He began scheduling an inviolable 15-minute break between, between every 90 minutes, and he requested that no one discuss business between the breaks. People took the cue from me, he said, 
Our recovery breaks just loosened up our whole organisation. We get more done at meetings now in less time. We have more fun doing it. Without being aware of it, he was living a highly linear life. By working long hours and really shutting down, even when he was home, he was, resent he was relentlessly spending mental energy without getting much recovery. Fatigue prompted anxiety, irritability and self-doubt, and he had very few positive sources of emotional renewal, even from his primary relationships. In the language of sports, he was overtraining mentally and emotionally and undertraining physically and spiritually. Because he expended precious little energy in activity and exercise, he had progressively lost endurance, strength and resilience. Because he had grown disconnected from deeply held values or a sense of purpose, the spiritual dimension represented another flat line in his life, a potential source of energy that he simply had not used or cultivated. He was not much different than many of us, in part because the choices he was making are so socially sanctioned. We live in a world that celebrates work and activity, ignores renewal and recovery, and fails to recognise that both are necessary for sustained high performance. Physiologist Martin Moore Eade, the president of Circadian Technologies and author of the 24-Hour Society, puts it this way. At the heart of the problem is a fundamental conflict between the demands of our man-made civilization and the very design of the human brain and body. Our bodies were designed to hunt by day, sleep at night, and never travel more than a few dozen miles from sunset, sunrise to sunset. Now we work and play at all hours, whisk off by jet to the far side of the globe, make life or death decisions, or place orders on foreign stock exchanges in the wee hours of the morning. The pace of technological innovation is outstripping the ability of the human race to understand the consequences. We are machine-centred in our thinking, focused on the optimization of technology and equipment, rather than human-centred, focused on the optimization of human alertness and performance. At the most practical level, our capacity to be fully engaged depends on our ability to periodically disengage. For most of us, this requires an entirely new way of thinking about how to manage our energy. Many of us treat life as, life as a marathon that doesn't end until it finally ends for good. Along the way, we learn strategies for conserving our natural limited, our limited resources. This may mean expending energy at a certain steady level at work, but rarely fully engaging or pushing very intensely on the job and then having little energy left to invest at home. Or it may mean slowly disengaging in every sphere of life as Roger had began to do. The advances in technology meant to help us stay more connected often serve instead to keep us from ever fully disconnecting Consider the way that Robert Iger, the president of the Walt Disney Company, described the impact of email in his life. It's just completely changed the rhythm of my workday. I try to avoid turning on the computer when I wake up because I know if I do, I won't read my newspapers. By the time I do log on, around 6am, 25 messages have accumulated since I last checked before going to sleep. It really affects your attention span. 
all of a sudden you can find yourself turning around in your chair just to see what's there. Without thinking about it, you start answering them and before long, 40 minutes have gone by. I now find myself purposely avoiding meetings just to handle the increased volume of email. The umbilical cord to work is longer than it's ever been and he's scarcely alone. A study conducted in 2000, in the year 2000, found that 40% of the subscribers to America Online took their laptops on vacation and 26% continued to check their email every day. Because we have overridden the natural rhythms that wants to find our lives, the challenge is to consciously and deliberately create new boundaries. We must learn to establish stopping points in our days in inavoidable, in, with inviolable times when we step off the track, stop processing information and shift our attention from achievement to restoration. Wayne Moore puts it in his lovely book Sabbath as this. The busier we are, the more important we seem to ourselves and we imagine to others. To be unavailable to our friends and family, to be unable to find time for the sunset, or even to know the sun has set at all, to whiz through our obligations without time for a mindful breath, this has become the model of a successful life. We have lost connection, he argues, to the simple but profound message of the 23rd Psalm. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. Intimately disengaging is what allows us to passionately re-engage.